don't act on an idea, that that idea is going to jump ship to someone else. And while you've been hiding it away, secretly working on it, somebody's already launched it and now it's theirs. So the sooner you get your idea out in the world, the sooner you can establish your claim to that concept, to that idea. Welcome to the Art of Humanity. I'm your host, Jessica Ann. This is my podcast where you can listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and your favorite entrepreneurs. You can explore creativity and consciousness, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's this week's episode. Hey guys, I'm Jessica Ann, and thank you so much for listening as always to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Here's the thing, I personally haven't consumed audiobooks that much because I really prefer to read using my Kindle, but audiobooks are now my main way to consume content. As listeners and readers of my book, Humanize Your Brand Know, I try to live the life of a minimalist. I don't necessarily need or want more books cluttering my house. I like experiencing the brilliant insights of a book minus that hard copy. Well, if you're like me and you love audiobooks, Audible is offering Art of Humanity listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. You can just go to audibletrial.com slash artofhumanity and browse the selection of audio programs. You can download a title and start listening. It's really that easy. You can listen to my book for free if you sign up. My audiobook is called Humanize Your Brand, How to Create Content That Connects with Your Customers. This is episode 36, and I've received such great feedback from launching season four of my podcast. I always appreciate your comments. I received this positive comment from Monica Kiyosaki on iTunes. No matter what you expect, it's not what you expect. Jessica Ann is a modern sharp poet in a bikini that will scan your words and quickly point out the gold. This podcast brings an eclectic mix of the contemporary biz and marketing scene, along with innovation and timeless truth. With each episode, you'll get to see something with new eyes and broaden your horizons of metaphors and beliefs, curiosity and creation at its best. Thank you so much, Monica, for that review. And if you like this podcast, leaving a five-star review on iTunes would mean the world to me and help me to gain momentum. It really only takes a few seconds. So if you could go over right now to iTunes and leave a review, I'll maybe even give you a shout out in my next episode. This season focuses on empowering the next paradigm of creativity. My guest today is Dr. Michelle Mazur. Dr. Mazur delivers audacious breakthroughs for business owners and speakers who want to stand out, be the best in class in their field, and position themselves in a category of one. I first met Michelle on Twitter way back in the day. I think it was around 2013, and I'm so glad that I did. She's been invaluable to my business and has helped me to up my speaking game. Some of my listeners know that I was in the speaking circuits before and after my book launch back in 2016. Michelle helped me to hone my message into a signature speech called Humanize Your Brand, named after my book. She's one of the many people who has given me the confidence to stand on the stage at Google in New York City to deliver my message. I'm so grateful I worked with Michelle before my Google keynote. I was excited instead of terrified when Google invited me to speak because I worked with Michelle to make sure that my message was clear, I was confident, and that I could deliver value in a way that felt aligned and true to who I am. In this interview, Michelle and I jam about so much good stuff, like the three-word rebellion, why visibility is a common challenge for online business owners, and the dirty little secrets of the speaking industry. 
I'm so excited to bring you my guest. Let's go to the show. Welcome to The Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to let you and your business evolve. Today, I'm so excited to have with me Michelle Mazur. Michelle believes that speakers, entrepreneurs, and business owners should craft a message that's bigger than you and your business. This message should call in your audience, incite action always, and turn the audience into the messengers of your message. Michelle delivers audacious breakthroughs for business owners and speakers who want to stand out, be the best in class in their field, and position themselves in a category of one. She's the CEO of Communication Rebel and the author of Speak Up for Your Business and Speak for Impact. The speakers and business owners she works with have gone on to book speaking gigs across the U.S., raise three times the amount of money expected for the launch of a charity, and speak in front of world leaders. Her rebel yell has appeared in Fast Company, Inc., Entrepreneur, Pierre Daly, and She Owns It. Wow, what a bio. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me on The Art of Humanity. Thank you for having me, Jessica. I'm so excited to be here. So, Michelle, take me back to the beginning of your story. I know that you and I became online friends, I think it's been about five years from now. So you have a PhD, and you're not afraid to use it. Um, (laughs) Super smart, super savvy in the online business world. I just want to go a little bit back in time, and can you explain to our listeners how you got into what you do today? Yeah, we definitely have to go far back in time, for sure. So I fell in love with speaking and communication when I was in the 10th grade, and I was taking my very first public speaking class. And at the time, I was super shy, super awkward, very weird, (laughs) and speaking was literally the last thing I wanted to do ever. In fact, some of my teachers would comment that I was the student in the back row who knew all of the answers and yet never raised her hand. So my first speaking class was terrifying, and the first speech I ever gave was terrible. Like I was so nervous. I was sweating. I was spitting. I, my knees were knocking. I, like every symptom of adrenaline you could have, I think I experienced in that speech. And still there was this little voice in my head that said, Hey, this is really important and you should master this. So I did what everybody does when they suck at something. I decided to do it competitively. I joined the speech and debate team, and that's really where I spent time in the woodshed honing my craft because I was out every single weekend at these tournaments, getting up at 6 a.m. to go compete, to lose every single weekend. But during that process of getting feedback from judges and from my coach and from my peers, I started to slowly get better. So by the time the first season on the speech and debate team was over for me, I actually got an honorable mention and that was like a huge deal. So that passion and that love of speaking eventually led me to a PhD and I was a professor of communication at the University of Hawaii for about five years. And I always knew that I wanted to do a business around speaking, around communication, around messaging. And so when I left academia, I thought about doing that. And then I took a job in market research instead because I didn't know anything about business. Like I just, 
I didn't feel like I was savvy enough to do sales and make money at what I was passionate about. So market research was a terrible fit. It sucked. I mean, I, I'm good at research and I love research, but being in the corporate world is not a good fit for a rebel and not a good fit for somebody who you can read their face and every thought as they're having it. <laughs> um, I was just not a good political player. And eventually one of my friends just said to me, Michelle, you have all this great knowledge about communication and speaking and you're not sharing it. You're not telling people about it. He was just like, start a blog, start something. And so I started a blog and it was called Relationally Speaking, which is a terrible name <laughs> at the time, but I just wanted to launch it into the world. And so I was like, name doesn't matter. I'm putting it out there. And then eventually, after I kind of got my blogging voice underneath me, I did a very ranty, ranty post about how not to be a motivational speaker. And that attracted my very first client who was speaking at Barbara Bush's Points of Light Foundation. And he emailed me and he's like, oh my God, I love this post. Can I work with you? And I'm like, sure. I had no business model. I had nothing. <laughs> I was just making it up. I was like, sure, this will be fun. And then I found out, I'm like, oh man, he's talking in front of like Barbara Bush and famous people. That's kind of scary. But that was my first client. And I've been, I did it as a, I did the business as a side hustle for about three years. And I've been full time now for over three years, I think. Wow. So you started your business six years ago about, huh? Yeah. So cool. So your story is so relatable, especially to someone like me. I was also that shy, awkward girl in the back of the classroom that knew all the answers and so inspiring to see how you really took that and ran with it. You know, you use that as your heroine's journey. You know, Joseph Campbell has a something called the hero's journey. And I, you know, used it to make it into a heroine's journey because it's all about going out into the world with your struggles and your, you know, everything that is working against you and then showing up in a way that is aligned and really passionate to how you want to show up in the world. And it's so fun to see, you know, your original story. I don't think I've ever heard that story. So I love hearing how you really honed your craft and you show up in the world today. How do you feel that speaking has or can help business owners or bloggers or clients overcome, you know, their insecurities and grow their confidence? Oh, that's a great question. And I think the best part of speaking to grow your confidence is that you get immediate feedback because you're with real live people in a room together and you can see like how they react, how they're impacted, where they laugh, where they pause because the story is just calling them into your experience. And there's nothing better in the world when someone comes up to you after you're done speaking and says, wow, the story that you told, it really resonated with me because I had a similar experience. And that is magical. And it shows you the value of your story, of your expertise, of your uniqueness in a way that I don't think like, the most of the way we communicate in the online business world allows you to do it. So true. It's so important to be able to share those stories that really 
creates a unique feeling or emotion in your audience. And uh, a recent blog post that you published talks about how to tell stories, even if you don't like talking about yourself, which is so inspiring to read because I'm sure there are so many people listening to this podcast that want to get their message out, but they don't necessarily like talking about themselves. What are some tips that uh, listeners can use to really hone in on their message if it talking about themselves makes them uncomfortable? Yeah, because this was created because I have some issues around this. I've only recently started talking about myself and my journey in my business to like podcasts and on, you know, to my email list or on social media. And I figured I wasn't alone. But some of the things that I did to actually tell a story and connect with people didn't really have anything to do with me. So the first thing I always say, like, if you're in business, tell your clients stories. There is nothing I love more than bragging about my clients and what they're up to in the world and how they're getting their message out or how they landed this big keynote speech. That just lights me up and it gets me excited and fired up and it gets other people excited excited and fired up too. So that's a great way to tell a story that's not necessarily about you, but it also allows you to brag about people that you love and adore. And I think another way to tell a story that may involve you is to tell what I call a small moment story. So most of the stories that we see are these like huge rags to riches stories. Like I had nothing. I was $40,000 in credit card debt and my wife just left me. And then I started this online business and now I'm a multimillionaire. And while those stories are, well, they're kind of generic these days because <laughs> I feel like I hear them all the time. All the time. Oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> I know. They're so, and they're so not relatable because number one, most of us don't have a story like that. Mm-hmm. So we're told to like manufacture one, which feels ooh, so sleazy. No, thank you. But what I've realized is like you can tell small moment stories, which are just like small little things that happen in your day that really connect with people. So like once I had a horrible experience with dealing with my cable company, they like slashed our internet off by accident and weren't going to be able to fix it for like three days. And I'm like, I work from home. What am I going to do? But just being able to share like how angry and upset I was and like how there's nothing that boils my blood more than talking to Comcast. Um, that was a story that really connected because people were like, oh my gosh, I hate the cable company too. They're always doing stuff like that to me. And it was just like this little snippet of my day that people could connect with. It wasn't this big, massive disclosure that makes you feel vulnerable. So those are like two great ways to tell a story without having to let it all hang out for the world to see. Yeah, that's such a great point because it really makes you human. That's part of my message is just humanizing your brand. And your message is so important because it's like, okay, I want to speak about this, but how do I do it in a way that feels not tacky or not like generic, like what everyone else is doing. So I love that you kind of guide leaders or possible uh, speakers throughout your process of like how to actually do it. So you came up with something recently called the three word rebellion. Tell me more about this. 
Absolutely. So the three word rebellion is a messaging framework that I developed. And the goal of it is to encapsulate the change you want to create in the world in just three words. And so this has the goal of like calling in your audience, allowing them to be a part of something bigger, be a part of your business, be a part of the movement you're creating. They can take action, change their lives, change their industry. And also they end up being the messenger and the defender of your message because they belong to something bigger. And this whole three word rebellion idea came about at the end of 2017. I was wrapping the last episode of the Rebel Speaker podcast. And as I shut down the mic, I thought to myself, I cannot talk about this anymore. I cannot talk about speaking. I cannot talk about how to get paid, how to write a pitch letter, how to position yourself, how to land a speaking gig, any more. I'm done. I've said all I need to say. And then I thought, ah, crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> what am I going to do next year? Because like, I've got nothing, nothing. So luckily this was, you know, during Christmas break, I was able to take some time off. And I really went back to why I started my business in the first place, you know, following Simon Sinek's lead and start with why. And the reason I started my business was because communication changes the world. That is my core belief that I've had from a very young age that I feel has dropped. It just drives me forward. It is my mission. And I realized with every single how-to post, podcast, social media post, I was getting further and further away from that why and from my mission. In fact, I think I was so far away with it, I left it on the side of the road in rural Missouri somewhere <laughs> because it was nowhere to be seen in my work. And I was like, okay, I have to get back to that. And then I watch a lot of news, which I don't know if that's great for my health, but I do watch a lot of news. And I noticed all of these social movements starting to pop up with Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Never Again, and, and even Make America Great Again. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. Like all of those messages are so succinct. It's really clear about what they're trying to accomplish. And then I started looking at like speakers and business owners who were super successful. So people like Simon Sinek and Mel Robbins and Sally Hogshead. And I also noticed that they had messages that were about three words and super, super clear. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So then I asked myself the question, I wonder if you can apply like social movement theory to developing messages for change-making businesses. So, and really when you're looking at a movement, a movement is answering two different questions. So what are you moving away from? So what are you rebelling against? And then the second question is, what is the change you want to create? So I started asking my clients those questions. And what I found, it was fascinating. Like all of a sudden, their, their message became crystal clear so much faster than I could have ever 
predicted. Because when I was just allowing them to write and to rant and to dream, I was able to see the patterns and the words that they were using and be able to form their three-word rebellion. So it was just this, this beautiful aha moment of going back to my why and noticing this pattern and experimenting with it so that I could help people who wanted to be thought leaders, influencers, you know, the leaders of a movement really hone a message that called people in and allowed them to take action. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that story. And it's so interesting to see how you integrated social movement theory with your movement, what you're actually writing about and speaking about this three word rebellion. Uh, At the core of this is simplicity. And I know that there's this ongoing discussion around speaking, how you don't want to deliver more than three bullet points on a screen or more than three main points in an email or whatever it might be that you're communicating. But you even take that one step more simple um, and say that it's three words. How important is simplicity to getting your message out in a big way? It is critical. So in educational research, there is a theory called the forgetting curve. And basically, this theory says within 24 hours, your audience will forget 90% of what you said. That speech that you're spending so much time crafting and trying to like put in all the information, they're going to remember maybe 10% of by the next day. What that means is that you have to simplify into a core message that is easy to take action on and it's easy for the audience to remember. Because I think there's nothing worse as a speaker or even as a business owner when you say to someone, oh, I just saw so-and-so speak and it was so great. And they're like, oh, cool. What did they speak on? And you're like, um, I don't know. She was just really good. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You you want people to remember your message. And I think, and one of my inspirations for this is Mel Robbins. She has the five second rule. And when I first found out about her, I was like, Ooh, what is this five second rule? And so I Googled it and I watched her Ted talk and I'm like, all right, this woman is literally teaching people to count backwards from five and then take an action. And she's making bank with this message. You've got to be kidding me, right? And then it struck me how brilliant it is because it is so simple. It is so memorable. And she is so committed to that message and to the change that message creates to people. And that's how you get remembered. It's exactly the opposite. If you know, Anyone listening that might be new to speaking, you might just think, oh, I have to prove and show how smart I am. I have to build in all this research. And and actually, you are rebelling against that. And you're saying, no, none of that is necessary. Just go back to the basics. Simplify it. Don't throw any spaghetti on the wall. Just stick with, you know, just a few pieces of information that are really going to blow the minds of your audience and then go from there. So does this also help to get others to share your message when your message is super simple? 
Absolutely, because then people, I mean, the three-word rebellion, you can make it a hashtag, right? Hashtag three-word rebellion, hashtag five-second rule. So you can make it a hashtag and have conversations about it on social media. And when it's memorable, people talk about it. They're like, hey, have you heard about this three-word rebellion thing? It's super cool. Or have you heard about the five-second rule? Because... Because when people are transformed by your message and it makes it makes them think of things in a different way, they're going to want to share. So yes, you can definitely have conversations. And then the cool part is the message starts taking on a life of its own. And then you don't have to work so hard at sharing it all the time. For sure. So I guess how do you remove yourself from the idea that someone might steal your idea or your message. And I see that you're putting out, you know, the three word rebellion everywhere, which is so inspiring. A lot of business owners who might be listening might be scared to share their message before they have all of their T's crossed and their I's dotted. What do you say to people who might be a little bit skeptical or hesitant to share their message? Oh, that's such a good question. So number one, the sooner you get it out there, the sooner you can claim it. Because I have this theory, and I, and this is from Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, that if you don't act on an idea, that that idea is going to jump ship to someone else. And while you've been hiding it away, secretly working on it, somebody's already launched it. And now it's theirs. So the sooner you get your idea out in the world, the sooner you can establish your, I I hate saying the word ownership around it, but your claim to that concept, to that idea. And also you want to make sure you have first use if you're going to do any like trademarking things with the patent office. So get it out there sooner. And, you know, somebody, you know, somebody might rip off the three word rebellion framework, but I can guarantee you that, that if they use it, they are not going to be able to get the same results that I get my clients. And they're not going to be able to teach it in the way that I teach it. And they're not going to have the passion that I have for it. So I always know that my message will rise above whatever else comes out because it is mine and unique to me. So that's why I don't worry about it. And so get it out there. And honestly, you want to get it out early as well, because if it doesn't resonate with people, if they're like, oh, that's kind of lame, you want to know sooner than later before you invest all of this time into developing this message, this idea, and then realizing it doesn't go anywhere. And there's the whole theme around that is integrity. You know, if you have integrity with your message and with your beliefs, then it belongs to you. And then the world will pick up on that energy and want to make it only work for you. You know, so it all comes full circle. I'm a big believer in that. And a huge component of integrity is, you know, something that you shared recently on a Facebook Live. You shared your challenge with the V word, visibility. So it doesn't really matter like how great or amazing your speech is, is people don't share that message. So everything kind of comes full circle. And in a world where every business owner seems to be shouting their message, why do you think that visibility is such a common challenge for online business owners? I think there's a vulnerability aspect to it, for sure. I mean, 
you're putting yourself out there consistently. You're saying, hey, world, look at me. I have this cool thing that I made for you, and I hope you like it. And there's that chance for rejection. I know for me, one of my big issues around visibility is I get bored with my message. And I'll be honest, you have to share your message a lot, like way more than you think you should share it. Like you need to get so sick of your message and then share it 10,000 times more before people start really getting it. But when you start putting yourself out there and being seen and being known for something, you'll be like, oh my gosh, haven't I already said this? People are going to get so bored with me. And the fact is, is that people really are not paying attention to you. And so that's why it's important to be visible, to be seen for the work that you're doing in the world, even if it's hard for you to put yourself out there. And I mean, I have other hangups around visibility. Like I'm like, oh, I have to put on makeup and my hair looks awful. And I get, I can get very judgy on myself about how I sound and what I look like. But at the end of the day, I, I believe in my message more, well, this, uh, one of my friends said this to me the other day. Um, I believe in my message more than I believe in my bullshit. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, um, Casey Aaronwood said that and I'm like, oh, I need to put that on a post-it note. <laughs> For sure. That is so great. So you kind of look at what you're saying as opposed to how you're saying, like you're saying that the impact that your message has on the audience is more important than how you look. <laughs> yeah, or how I feel, or, you know, like all the fraudy stuff, or, oh gosh, am I putting myself out there too much? Are people sick of me? Like all of the inner critic, and, and like, who am I to be on this stage, or who am I to share that Instagram post, or, or what if I'm not really good at this, or what if I'm not enough? Mm. Imposter syndrome at its finest. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Like, I have spent the past year working with Tanya Geisler on my imposter <laughs> complex because I knew it was the thing that was holding me back in my business and being visible and sharing my message. Mm, I'm going to put all of these details and people in the show notes in case anyone's listening and wants to learn more about all these cool people that Michelle shares. <laughs> um, so how do you actually create your own platform? You know, I see that you're always going on Facebook Live and there's Instagram, there's Twitter. There are all these platforms out there. There's the speaking stage. How do you recommend, like, where do people start with sharing their message to anyone that's out there that might be brand new and just wants to establish a platform or a strong foundation to spread that message? How can listeners create that stage of their own to grow their audience? Yeah, I think the first piece of advice I have is pick a platform you actually like and only pick one platform and just love it hard. Make that your, your main squeeze for at least a year of your life. So if it's, you know, if you love being on Instagram, then start on Instagram. If you love Facebook, start on Facebook. If you hate Facebook, don't go on Facebook. So pick what you, pick the platform that you most like and start 
there and start, you know, sharing your content, sharing your story, sharing your message and, and engage with other people, have a conversation because social media should actually be social. And that's the best way I know of to choose yourself, like to, as James Altucher would say, like create your own damn stage, get on social media, do a webinar, like pick whatever makes you feel most comfortable and you can have the most fun with. And then once you've picked the platform and you start loving it hard, it's about showing up consistently. I mean, it, I mean, it is. It's all about consistency. So it's like showing up almost every single day on Instagram or in your Facebook community or on your you know, Facebook Live, sharing something about your work, your life. If it's me, it's um, kittens. I share a lot about my kittens. Cutest little <laughs> kittens ever. I know. They're actually got really big now. But yeah, super cute stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then, yeah, and then you will see as you start engaging, people will will start following you and will want to know what you think and what you're up to and what you say. I love that because you did mention it's about choosing yourself, you know, as you quoted uh, James Altucher, who I interviewed on episode 11 of my podcast. But it is about aligning yourself with what works first and then building from there. And I love that. That is so refreshing because so much of marketing today is do this to be successful and without any regard to how comfortable it makes you. So it's such a refreshing approach to marketing and getting your message out when, you know, we can simply just focus on a platform that works for us and then grow and evolve from there. I want to get to dirty little secret of the speaking industry. And it's something that you and I have jammed about in the past before. And it's something that you're super passionate about. And this dirty little secret is that the speaking industry has a lot of gigs that are unpaid and uncompensated. Um, so while these events, a lot of these speaking events do offer visibility a lot of the times, it's more often than not a way to boost the egos of people that are just trying to get out there. And it doesn't always boost the bank account of these people. And uh, you really went on a rampage and you helped me so much in my speaking career over the past few years um, because you went on a rampage against this. And you're like, you know what? We are spending so much time, so many resources building our speech the least you can do is to pay us. So how do you begin to explain this total lack of compensation in the speaking world? And, and where do you stand on helping speakers get paid for what they're worth? Yes. So I believe this stems, I mean, I lay a large portion of the blame on the National Speakers Association, which is the professional organization for paid speakers. And here's their little dirty secret. At their national conference, they don't pay their speakers. So you have an organization for paid speakers who don't, they don't pay their speakers, right? Like that is hypocritical, it's a huge problem. And until they start paying their speakers, because hey, if the NSA doesn't pay their speakers, then why should some conference 
pay their speakers. So that change needs to start with the speakers in the National Speakers Association. I am not a part of that organization, as you can probably tell. <laughs> and then I think another component of why we, why people don't get paid is that there are so many people willing to do it for free. Like there is an absolute desperation for speaking gigs that I see. It's like, oh, I've got to land gigs. I've got to do this. I'll do anything for a speaking gig. You know, I'll fly across the country and I'll pay for it myself and I won't get a dime and that will be fine because at least I'm speaking. In fact, I saw another speech coach at one point in time says, say, it's better to speak for free than not to speak at all. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 Because there is... I mean, the way I look at it is that you are an expert. You spent a long time honing your own craft, building your own message, and working with clients, reading all the books, getting all the education, and that is valuable. And that should that should be something people pay for. And if I believe that speakers have to start taking a stand. I almost feel like there needs to be like a union for speakers that basically says kind of like the Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't accept the speaking gig unless we get paid for it because I feel like that's the only way for the industry to change as well. The speakers are all like, no, I deserve to get paid and here's why. So that's really my line in the sand. Like it is unfair. The national organization needs to change and speakers need to draw a line in the sand and say, nope, my time is valuable. What I know is valuable. The transformation that I give the audience into your organization is valuable and I deserve to be paid for that. Amen. I could not agree more. And yeah, if you're looking to start this movement, you know where I am. I'm more than happy to align forces with you on this. Can you flesh out a little bit about the dichotomy between male speakers and women speakers? Um, I came across this bingo card that I found online. I found it so interesting because it had to do with um, Innovation Women came up with this bingo card about why women say no to your speaking invitation. And it was hilarious because it was kind of cringeworthy because it's so true. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of uh, women today say no to speaking gigs for various reasons. Do you think it has anything to do with gender? I do. And I remember the story from Brene Brown is that she was at a speaking gig and a bunch of other female speakers came up to her and said, you need to raise your rates. And she was like, what? They're like, you need to raise your speaking fee because you are charging so little. We can't get any, we can't get fairly compensated. Wow. And I always, yeah, I remember that story and I was like, ooh, I think there is this one. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen that Tumblr, like the, it's a Tumblr page about all white male panels or all white male conferences. Yeah, the manals. <laughs> yeah, the manals, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, It's been assumed for a long time that the way that men speak, their presence, how they show up on stage, 
that that is powerful and that deserves to be compensated. Plus, men aren't afraid to ask for the compensation, whereas women tend to shy away from that more. And then I think that leads to, okay, well, the ideal speaker is a man with a powerful voice and a big stage presence. So that really rules out a lot of women. And then women just become the afterthought, like, oh my gosh, I have all these white guys. I better get like a woman or a woman of color in here. Otherwise people are going to like accuse me of not being diverse. So basically we get the scraps and it, so that perception of the stereotypical what makes a good speaker needs to start slowly changing and women have got to advocate for themselves when they're in the negotiation stage and we need to call out those conferences that don't have great representation. Mm, it's so important and it's so hard to do. You know, it's it's a total reframe of your power. Really, it's taking your power back in a way that needs to happen. And it's not happening as much as I'd like to see today. And, you know, you've been such a strong voice in this space. And um, you're really helpful to help other women get their message out, whether they're a man or a woman, just frankly, just getting paid for what we're worth. So, yeah, I really value your perspective on this. Do you have any guidance for, you know, those that are getting out there more and hitting the speaking circuits, do you have any guidance for how to book a solid, you know, speaking gig? Is it one a month or once, you know, one a few times a season? Is there anything that makes speaking more manageable in terms of scheduling? Yes. So I really think you have to define what your speaking lifestyle should want is because I read this blog post ages ago about this guy and like why I quit my dream of professional speaking and it was all about how he was traveling all the time and yes he was getting paid but the speaking gigs weren't fulfilling because sometimes it was an empty room and he was all on the road and his marriage was suffering so he had to burn his business to the ground and he stopped speaking and to me I just thought dude you did not design your lifestyle correctly <laughs> because you should never have speaking as your only stream of income, in my opinion, number one. Otherwise, you have to be a road warrior like that. And maybe you want to be a road warrior. Maybe that's the season of life that you're in, and that's okay, too. But define what success looks like for you. Maybe that's a speaking gig a month. Maybe it's a speaking gig once a quarter. Maybe it's twice a year. And whatever you decide then that is the lifestyle that you want to lead. So you should never let your speaking business run you. You should always run your speaking business. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great point. And that goes back to kind of what we were saying earlier about choosing yourself first and being in alignment with not just how you want to show up in the world, but also the type of lifestyle that you want. That's so key to running a business, whether it's an online business or not. It's so important to think about lifestyle and things like this that, you know, you don't often think go together, but they're more at the core of your life than anything. So thank you so much for sharing all of your tips and all of your insights. You're such a wealth of resources for listeners and for potential speakers that are out there that may want to get into the speaking business. So what's next for you, Michelle? You're always up to something exciting. I want to hear what you're doing next. So right now I'm working on the Three Word Rebellion book. And that is, well, this week, luckily, it's at the editor. So I have a little break from my book, which is, you know, 
nice and needed. So that will be coming out February 13th of next year. Um, I have a new, well, I'm rebranding the Rebel Speaker podcast to the Rebel Rising podcast to really, uh, to, to address a bigger audience of people who are the next generation of leaders and influencers so that they have a place where they can rise up and we can get messy and we can talk about the hows and what works and what doesn't work. So that will be launching and then I'm going to start looking into getting back into speaking myself because I, for lifestyle reasons, took a bit of a hiatus. And now I feel ready with the three-word rebellion to go back out and share that message. So many cool stuff coming up for you. That's so exciting. And I can't wait to get my hands on your book when you publish it soon. Um, where can listeners go to find you online? Yeah, so... If you want the Three Word Rebellion framework, I give it away freely at threewordrebellion.com. So go and grab it and start working on your message that creates change in your industry or the world. And other than that, you can find me at drmichellemazer.com. And I hang out mostly right now on Instagram at drmichellemazer. So if you want to have a convo with me, that's the place to go. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Jessica. This is fantastic. You made it to the end of the podcast. This means the world to me, and I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my podcast website, artofhumanity.io, for show notes or past interviews. Or you can message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Jessica Ann, and my handle starts with an I. It's at I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-N. I'd love to hear from you and learn more about what you've learned from this episode, and I'll be sure to get in touch with you. If you really love this podcast, I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left a review. It helps way more than you know. Let's get the Art of Humanity movement going. Thank you for listening. Until the next episode, evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Listen, explore, evolve. I'm Jessica Ann.